author Jackie, or excuse me, Jamie Buckingham uh, once made a visit to a hydroelectric dam, and uh, they were standing there looking at it, thinking about the power that it produced and so forth. Uh, they made the, the mistaken assumption that the power came from the water coming over the top. They came to realize, however, that that was just froth. That the actual power transformation was happening much deeper below the surface as the turbines turned unseen by human eyes. Today, as we continue our journey through doctrinal matters, we come to God the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of people make the same mistake with the spirit that Jamie made with the hydroelectric dam. They view the spirit through the lens of the power that is evident on the top. And sometimes, certainly, that is an expression of the spirit, that, that as he moves and as he directs, there is evident power present in that place, in that person, in that experience. But that's not the, the primary expression of who he is. This primary expression of who he is is much deeper down. It's much more intimate. It's much more connective in how it functions. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 15. We're going to begin reading in verse 26 down through 16.15, about what Jesus, the Son, had to say about the Holy Spirit. He says, When the Counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember. I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you, but now that I'm going away to him, uh, to him who sent me, and not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me, and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own. He will speak whatever he hears, and he will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, because he will talk, he will take from you, take, I'll get here in a minute, he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father is, has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes what is mine 
and we'll declare it to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Thank you for your son who came and died. I thank you for spirit who instructs and guides. And I pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts and minds today. Help us to better understand all that we need to know. Help us to understand the Holy Spirit, his relationship to you and to the Son. God, help us to, to be obedient to what is revealed. As your word speaks truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we've talked about before, when you talk about the Trinity, you have three persons, one God. We said that the only real way to describe it in terms that uh, are acceptable or consistent with the biblical uh, reality is that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, the Son's not the, the Spirit, and the Spirit's not the Father. They're three separate individuals, yet just one God. So who is the Holy Spirit? When we talk about this one generally referred to as the third person of the Trinity. Who are we talking about? Who does Jesus reveal him to be here in this passage? Well, I think the first thing we need to say is that he is the most misunderstood person of the Trinity. He's misunderstood by those who um, misrepresent what his role is. And he's misunderstood, quite frankly, by a lot of Baptists who are afraid of him. I think in a lot of settings, in a lot of circumstances, we have basically tried to almost ignore spirit. Uh, we might sing a song like Sweet, Sweet Spirit or something like that, but overall, the spirit really doesn't get much attention in Baptist circles. He just doesn't. We pray to the Father. We're grateful to the Son. and We ask the spirit to maybe instruct us or guide us, but we don't really think about him. We're afraid that if we consider him or we talk about him or uh, emphasize him in any way, people might think we're one of those. But he is important. He is not subordinate to the Son. He is not subordinate to the Father. He, like the Son, is co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Son, and they are all three eternal, have always been. They are not created. They are not aspects of each other. They are three individual persons who together make one God. And so it's important for us to see that. It's important for us to understand that the Spirit is, in fact, God. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, Peter here is speaking to Ananias and Sapphira. You're familiar with the story. Many in the church were selling their belongings and bringing them as an offering, bringing them as a, uh, a way to help support each other. Ananias and Sapphira had sold their land, sold their belongings, and had brought a portion of the money to uh, the church there. 
They were not required to give it all, but they were saying that they had given it all. They were saying that they were participating fully in this activity, in this event. They were communicating a level of holiness, but in fact, they were deceitful. And this is how Peter responds to them. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, the, the parallel statement there, the first part of the statement where he says what? You have lied to the Holy Spirit, and then the second part, you have lied to God, tells us quite clearly that Peter understood, Peter expressed, Peter communicated that the Holy Spirit is in fact God. 2 Corinthians 3.17 tells us that the Spirit is in fact the God of the Old Testament. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to, of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so we hear there quite clearly in our understanding in our scriptures that the Holy Spirit is in fact God, not just a component of God, not an aspect of God, not a manifestation of God. He himself is God. And as a person of the Godhead, he has roles. He has distinct roles, distinct specific roles that are his that are an expression of who he is, just as the Son has a role, and we talked about those roles previously, and the Father has certain roles, the Spirit has certain roles. And, and Jesus in the passage here outlines them. He talks about how the Spirit points to the Son. He talks about his, his task, again, not in subordination to Jesus, not in subordination to the Father, but as an outgrowth of the, the one mind, the, the one perspective of the Godhead. In the passage, he talks about here that he is the spirit of truth. He is the truth. He expresses the truth. He communicates the truth. There is no deceit in him. There is no confusion in him. So often the spirit is equated with almost chaos. But the Spirit did not come to bring chaos. He came to what? To bring truth, to inspire and bring understanding. He came to, as Jesus says here, to comfort. That sense that you have in those moments of sorrow or grief or, or hurt or doubt or fear, that peace that overwhelms you as you pray, as you commune, as you talk with God as you read his word. That's the Holy Spirit. He brings conviction. When sin is present. He is the active force of creation. This is why Jesus speaks the words that, to be honest, I've struggled with over the years. When Jesus says, it is good for me to go away, 
so that the comforter or the counselor, so the spirit will come. I've always kind of found that puzzling. And again, coming up in a Baptist tradition where the sun is so emphasized and we can only, um, it's never bad to emphasize any person of the Trinity. Let me just put it that way. But what has happened is because of that, I think about, man, it sure would be great to have Jesus just kind of sitting there talking to him. Jesus says it's better for the Spirit to come. Because of all the Spirit accomplishes, all that he does, the comfort he brings, the conviction he brings, the clarity he brings to the words of the Son and the Father. The Holy Spirit is the effector. That is, he brings into effect the things that the Father and the Son brought into effect. That's part of his role. That's part of his task. And this effectiveness and this affecting of realities manifests itself in, in several ways. It, it manifests itself in the fact that the Holy Spirit manifests God's intentions in history and experience. When we think about the Holy Spirit, there's a, there's a subjective and an objective element to who he is. But the subjective element is, is often where we focus. That is, how does he affect me individually? How does it affect me as a person? And we all know from functioning in churches and, and operating in the Christian life that how the Holy Spirit affects us personally can be very different than how he affects the person right next to us, in our own families, people that are often very similar personality-wise, and see things in, in many of the, much the same way will often be affected very differently by the Spirit in a given service, in a given event, in a given moment of reading the Scriptures. So there is very much the subjective element to who the Holy Spirit is, but there is also an objective element. Jesus outlines that objective element here. He has a purpose in history. When you look at him throughout the Old Testament, when you look at him throughout the New Testament, when you look at him throughout church history, you see a consistency of his role, a consistency of his place. The historical Holy Spirit is important. It's not just about how he's affecting us now. It's about seeing how he has functioned and related and operated in the past as well. Because in seeing that, we see a consistency, we, and we begin to understand who he is now. Just as the Father is what? The same yesterday, today, forever. So is the Spirit. And I find it troubling somewhat that so much of Christianity has defined quote, the Holy Spirit, by how he has supposedly functioned over the last century and a half. Many of our denominations, and, and I'm not questioning their authenticity, I'm not questioning their status as, as Christians, 
but I am questioning their understanding of the Holy Spirit and how He functions. Many denominations out there, as they relate to the Spirit, as they as they talk about the Spirit, as they try and quote manifest the Spirit, they do so in a way that's completely divorced from how He has expressed Himself since creation. And in so doing, they misrepresent his role. The historical Holy Spirit is significant. That opening illustration of his, his hiddenness or his, his working underneath, I think is something that needs to be recovered in a lot of understandings and perspectives. That as we as Baptists work to, to reclaim the Holy Spirit in terms of his role and his importance here, we also need to remember his historical manifestations as well. Second way that he is the effector is that he actualizes God's intention in sustaining of his people. Jesus, in my translation, refers to him as a counselor. Yours may re refer to him as a comforter. The word there is paraclete. Paraclete is what? It's somebody who walks beside us. It's a helper, a teacher, a guide, a counselor, a comforter. That's what the word paraclete means. Jesus is referred to as our paraclete in 1 John 2.1. That's not to say that they're the same person. It's just to identify that this is a particular role. It's a particular aspect Walking alongside is something God does. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, the number one promise of the Scriptures is what? I will be with you. And so to be a paraclete, to be someone who walks aside, beside us is the role of the Father. It's the role of the Son. It is especially the role of the Spirit to sustain us. Jesus says that he testifies with us, not apart from us, not apart from Jesus, but with us. He, he's, he's beside us in the midst of our hardship. He's empowering. He is teaching. He's instructing. He's giving us the energy, the focus, the ability to do the things that we need to do, to do them in an extraordinary fashion, in an extraordinary way. D.L. Moody was set to have a, a campaign in England. Getting ready to, to travel from the U.S. to England. And, and one of the elder pastors there protested. He said, why do we need this Mr. Moody, this Reverend Moody? He's, he's uneducated. He's inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Purportedly, one of the younger pastors and the group there responded, no, sir, he doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. What would the world be if we all submitted, surrendered, listened to the Holy Spirit as he guides? How many times in our experience has he spoken to us? Has he spoken to me? And I said, mm, I don't think so. I let fear enslave me. I let doubt direct me, 
instead of trusting in his power, instead of trusting in his presence, and his ability to get me through whatever situation I'm faced with, I lean back on my own understanding, on my own perspectives. The Spirit is there to sustain us. He's there to direct us and help us. The Holy Spirit carries forward God's conviction of the lost. The word for conviction here in this particular passage, it means to, to prove as wrong or to expose as guilty. To convict somebody in a personal sense, to, to let them know, to reveal to them. Their need for a Savior. Jesus, in this passage here, he says what? He says that the essence of sin is not receiving or believing Jesus not understanding who Jesus is and responding to the Son and the Word and the teachings that He's carried out. That's the essence of the sin. That's the, that's the nature of it. The basis of the sin is a lack of righteousness. Why do we not believe the Son? Because we are fallen. Since Adam and Eve, committed that first sin, ever since then, man has been inclined toward, directed toward abandonment and refusal to follow God, rejecting what he has said. And so that is what? That's a lack of righteousness. To be righteous is to be in right relationship with God. No one is righteous, Scripture says. No, not one. And so the essence of our sin and, and failing to believe Jesus, it grows out of the basis for our sin, our lack of righteousness. And then the verdict of sin is what? Is to be judged as guilty as Satan. That's some pretty strong words that Jesus utters here. That when you reject the Son, when you fail to listen to the Spirit, you are as guilty of sin as Satan is. We don't like to think of ourselves that way. Satan, he's the big bad. He's the kingpin. He's the overlord of evil. But from God's perspective, to refuse to follow the Son is to put yourself in the same category, the same status. And that's why when people say, well, well, hell was created for, for Satan and his demons. It wasn't created for us. You're right. It wasn't. But as Jesus has specifically said here, when you reject him, when you don't listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you put yourself in the same status as Satan. So hell is deserved. But the Spirit comes when He convicts and He actualizes God's intention in revealing the truth. He is a guide, a translator. Y'all ever been to 
someplace, travel someplace you've never been before, and it's maybe a little bit involved. And you're like, man, I wish I had a guide. Wish I knew what that was, or I wish I knew what that was. It can be frustrating. Well, in life, what are we doing? We are walking a journey in places we've never been before. Well, some of it seems familiar. Some of it looks like it always has. Looks like things we've transversed before, gone through before. But in reality, every experience is new. Every encounter with a person is on some level new. Every question we're asked, every text, scripture that we read, there's a newness to it. How do we get through that, that newness? We get through it by the Holy Spirit guiding us. Because just as the Father is eternal and all-knowing, so is the Spirit. And He instructs us in all truth and all knowledge. He translates the Scripture for us. This text, some of it is 3,000, 4,000 years old. I talk to students all the time who have trouble understanding their parents, or especially their grandparents, and what they have to say. And we're talking about what? 50 years difference there? I talk to grandparents, by the way, who have trouble understanding their grandchildren as well. And we're talking about trying to understand a text. It's 3,000 years old. How on earth could we ever accomplish that? How could we begin to understand those lives and those situations and those circumstances? How does any of this make any sense? It's the Holy Spirit that brings clarity, that brings understanding. Not only does he translate the Scripture for us, he translates God's will for us. Where does God want us to go? What does God want us to do? As we've talked about before, I believe there's a level of freedom in that. As we are obedient, as we are righteous, as we walk along God, alongside God, we understand His will, His direction, and that becomes manifested in the decisions we make. But I also believe there is, at times, a specific will from God, specific things He wants you to do, specific places He wants you to go. And it's the Holy Spirit that informs us of that, that lays that on our heart, that gives clarity to our mind. It helps us interpret the situation, the circumstances that we're going through, through the lens of God's desire. We translate Jesus for us. Without the Holy Spirit, I think we would misunderstand Jesus. You see it all the time. People who say, oh, Jesus, he was such a just a great guy. He said a lot of really great things. I kind of like some of his words. But as we talked about last week, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. How do you understand the, the, the connection of that love and that authority? 
how do you understand the the the, the integration of of such sacrifice and other centeredness and yet the fact that he is king and demands our obedience. How do you bring those two things together? The Holy Spirit translates that for us. The Holy Spirit is significant for our walk. And I think that a lot of the reason that the church is in trouble Baptist churches, mainland Protestant churches, other groups of Christians that are in decline. It's because we haven't listened to the Holy Spirit. We've listened to ourselves. We've been driven by our own programs, by our own mindsets, by our own commitments. William Booth was once asked, what do you believe is the chief danger of the church. This is what he wrote. In answer to your inquiry, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Holy Spirit is necessary for a walk. If you try to, quote, live the godly life on your own, it will crush you. It will destroy you. You'll either slip, slip into legalism or, or lawlessness. Anger and frustration will characterize your attempt. You'll get to the place to where you see no purpose in Christianity or God or anything else because you will fail trying to walk this life under your own power. But with the Spirit, submission to His control, to His leadership, to His teaching, to His instruction, to His correction and to His comfort, we can strength we need to live the life we've been called to live. It's time we gave the Holy Spirit his due. It's time that we walk with the power that he alone can provide. Will you do so today? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your son, all that he's done to save and to transform, to bring life and hope. God, I also thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for all that he brings. And Lord, we know to have the son is to have the spirit. There's, there's no dividing of the Godhead. God, we also understand that it's all too easy to, to ignore the bleedings, the direction, 
the guidance of the Spirit as He speaks. So God, I pray today that you would help us to be obedient. Help us to be attentive. Help us to be all that you've called on us to be, Lord. As you convict here this morning, as you lead here this morning, help us to take the first step of obedience by simply listening to what it is you want us to do. And we'll give you all the glory because you alone are worthy of it. In Christ's name.